0: I'm going to pray to open us up, if that's all right with you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Lord, for um, the book of Nehemiah. God, that you've got so much to teach us in your um, word, Lord. Thank you that we live in a country where we can study it openly and freely. We don't have to hide it, God, that we all have access to the Bible. God, let us hide your word in our hearts, Lord. I pray, God, that tonight you would really bring forth what you want us to know and to learn from this man's life and from this story, God. We would know how to persevere through opposition and do the work and, and carry out the assignment that you've given us, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Bob because he's such a good responder. Um, I am going to put on my little timer. All right. So we're in the book of Nehemiah. I would love for you to pull your phones out again or your Bible and get to the book of Nehemiah, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. So... You guys remember the story of Nehemiah. Um, we've got a broken down temple in Jerusalem. We've got walls that are broken down in Jerusalem. We've got Nehemiah. He's in a um, foreign land, and he hears about this, and his heart is breaking, and he gets permission from the... from the um, king at that time, Artaxerxes, crazy name, and he goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to bring protection to his people. And last week, Jackie came in. She taught about opposition and I love that so much, so I'm going to talk about that some more because I think that's a major theme in the book of Nehemiah. We've got a couple major themes, but one of the most major theme is how do we deal with opposition in our life? And Nehemiah has a lot of good um, examples of opposition. One of the things as I was studying... About this, um I found out that there's a cycle of opposition in the book of nehemiah. if you If you look at chapters one through three, it starts out with Nehemiah's broken-hearted. he goes back, he starts the building, and everyone it builds with him, and such and such person builds here, and such and such person builds here, and this person builds there, and this person's build there builds there. And if you just stopped at chapter three, you'd be like, "Oh, it was great. He went back and rebuilt it, and that was fantastic. But the reality is chapters 4 through 6 tell a different story. They tell a story of opposition, and they, tell they actually have a cycle of opposition. There's six times in Nehemiah where the people advance, they meet opposition, they advance again, they meet opposition. This happens six times in the book of Nehemiah. And I think that's really fascinating because in the Christian life, sometimes we're really, really shocked when we come... Um, when we have opposition in our lives we don't expect it we don't see it coming um, and then we're shocked that once we overcome that opposition that we have opposition again you know sometimes we we have some opposition and we're like oh and you know that something we get healed or something happens and it goes away and we're like okay phew and then down the road is opposition again and we're so shocked that we keep having this this opposition and and I guess what I want to say to you is get over that because in the christian life we are going to be opposed. In fact, we have Do you like your Do you like your glasses, Chris? These are yours. Don't they look fantastic? <laughs> um in fact <laughs> In fact, um we have an, someone who opposes us his name is Satan and in the Hebrew that actually means adversary. So his actual name means adversary. You know, and here's here's the crazy thing. Even though it was God's will to rebuild the wall, he gave favor for Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. He still allowed opposition to the wall the wall building. You're like, "Why would God allow that opposition?" We know that God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. He could have built that wall himself if he wanted to. But there was a reason he wanted Nehemiah to build it, and there was also a reason that he allowed the opposition to happen. And so that's what we're going to study tonight is the opposition that comes into our lives and then possibly what we can learn from that opposition. Um, you know, my husband Chris loves to, build, to lift weights, and um, he's upset because he's not able to lift weights very much right now. He's having to heal, right? But one thing that we know about lifting weights, is, and Chris could even explain this better, is the way that you build your muscle is you have to have resistance. You, you have to lift something that's heavy and have resistance, and when your muscle gets acclimated to that, you have to add to the weight, right? If you're going to grow your muscle, you have to add to the resistance. You have to keep adding to it. That's how weight, or, um, weight lifters get really, really big, is they keep adding the resistance to their their um, exercise, and it's the same thing with us, us in our life. I believe, I believe there's two reasons that, that yes, sir. And they also change it up. That's that's a really good point. They, there's different kinds of resistance. Wow. Maybe you should get up here and help me preach this. Okay, that's good. I think there's two reasons that, um, I think there's two reasons we experience opposition. And this is my opinion. It's not. I got from Nehemiah, but my opinion is there's two reasons we experience um, opposition in this world, and one is we live in a fallen world, and if we live in a fallen world, there's evil. There's just flat-out evil, and um, it's going to come to us because we live in this world, and because God has allowed free will to exist, evil is going to sometimes oppose us and come at us, and we're going to experience the um, consequences of this fallen world, but I love the... um, verse, Bob, you said it today, I was going to use it all the time. God works things out for our good every single time. Even the evil things in this world, God will use for our good. The second reason I think that um, God allows opposition is exactly the reason I said that. It builds our faith. The more we, more we exercise our faith muscle, the bigger it gets. And so he's like, oh, okay, here's five pounds of opposition overcome that. Oh, I'm going to allow 10 pounds now into your life so that you can learn to overcome that. And your faith muscle grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think there is a place where God uses opposition in our life to teach us how to overcome it and go to the next level. Right? All right. So let's go to the first one, Janet. The first blank is Our first defense is to know the different kinds of opposition. Opposition number one, the anger of others against you. Anger. Sanballat, that was one of the um, foreign leaders or the foreign rulers surrounding Jerusalem in the land, became furious and very angry. Nehemiah four one. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And then, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. The reality is, if Jerusalem became um, autonomous again and had, a, had walls surrounding it and had people that were secure and safe, all of a sudden all those foreign rulers around them would lose their influence, their power, and their money. Okay, Because those people were depressed, they were beaten down, they were at the mercy of everyone around them, and if all of a sudden Jerusalem became strong again, became powerful, became autonomous, they were going to be a threat to the people in the area, and they were especially not going to um, be subject to the whims of all the people around them. So, so these foreigners had something to lose by Jerusalem becoming strong and powerful again, and they didn't want to see it happening. You know, sometimes we see that kind of stuff happening in our own lives. We see people that are not happy with the good things that are happening to us, right? Because it might affect them in some kind of way, or they're jealous, and a lot of times anger is a partner to a spirit of offense, Sometimes if something good is happening for us or something's going ahead in our life, the spirit of offense comes in and wants to tear you down because somehow that it, it, it's taking something away from this other person. Have you ever experienced that? Kind of a jealousy. Um, that is, that's one way that the enemy tries to dissuade us from doing what God has called us to do. Number two The enemy tries to get us focused on our failures through mockery and sarcasm. Mockery and sarcasm. Nehemiah 4, 2 through 3. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. You know, um, Bob sent me a really, Bob always sends me really good um, devotions, but he sent me one by Rick Joyner, and it was about rebuilding the the um, temple and the wall with the burned stones, you see Jerusalem had been sacked over and over and over, and its its walls not only were torn down they were burned down. The temple was pulled down, it was burned down. The rocks that Ezra and Nehemiah were using to rebuild the temple and the wall were not whole rocks they weren 't you know chiseled with a stone mason didn 't go and cut them out of a, a mountain or whatever and they weren't perfectly square they were rebuilding the wall with the broken burned up rubble that was already there this I want to camp on for a minute this is a huge thing for us you guys the stones seem to be useless for anything and here's the thing burnt stones may not look good on the outside but they've been through the fire It takes great faith to endure a tragic failure and rise up again and say yes to the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal that God wants to use the broken stones in our lives to do two things, be a place of habitation for his presence and to bring safety to the people around us, to rebuild the broken places. He wants to use the broken stones of our lives to do that. That's a big, big deal. Rick Joyner says it this way. In fact, if you have not been through the testing of a serious spiritual failure, you may be too idealistic to understand the real purpose of what the Lord is doing. Everything the Lord is doing in this age is intended to be a testimony of his power of redemption. As stated, burnstones may not look good on the outside, but the Lord has never cared about what his dwelling places look like on the outside. Those who have been through the fire of failure and are ready to be used again are probably just right on the inside for what he wants to build. Right? So when someone comes to you and they say you're not good enough to do that, why would you think that you're good enough? You you've been through bankruptcy, you've been through divorce, you're not smart enough, you're too old, you're too young. What do you think? Why do you think God would ever use you? You just point to Nehemiah and you say, they rebuilt the temple and the wall with burnt stones. And if God can do that in 50, however many days he did it in, he can do that with us. And he wants to do that with us because just like Rick said, he's in the business of redemption. And that's what he's doing in these last days of saying, I can take this and make this. It does not matter what's going on in your life. You submit it to me, and I will make it into something beautiful. We could do a whole sermon on that. I kind of wanted to, but we got to move on. But I really want you to get that. It does not matter the mistakes you've made in your life. It does not matter what your financial situation is. It does not matter if you're an addict. It does not matter if you say yes to the Lord. He will use you for a place of habitation, and to rebuild the broken places. So don't let the enemy tell you anything different, and don't let people tell you anything different. Right? Number three, the enemy uses threats and intimidation. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. (laughs) I'll tell you what, these people outside Jerusalem were really freaked out. They were like, we've got to stop this from going on. The thing is, Nehemiah was there on the order of Artaxerxes. They didn't dare come at him straight, you know, come at him. They had to intimidate him and send him threats and try to bully him and get him to um, be scared and afraid of, of them. They couldn't come at him directly. You know, sometimes that happens for us, too. Um, we, we feel this societal pressure sometimes. You know, we feel like we need to say this or do that or whatever, but then there's societal pressure saying, you know, you can't do that because you might lose your job. We can't be a whistleblower. We can't oppose what's going on because you might financially lose your job. There's always the threat of just laying low and getting by and not being somebody who makes a difference, right? Sometimes... We are called to be people who make a difference. We're called to be people who do the right thing. We're called to be leaders. We're called to be atmosphere changers. But the enemy is always back here going, yeah, but what could happen if you do that? What could happen if you do that? You might lose your job. People won't like you if you say that. That just comes across two goody two shoes, right? The enemy is always trying to get us off track of where we're supposed to be going, especially if we're making a difference. If we're making any kind of difference, he's going to throw everything he's got at us to try to stop us from stepping out and doing what we're called to do. The fourth one is discouragement and exhaustion. Discouragement and exhaustion. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. You know, um, Nehemiah 4 is a pretty much halfway um, in, the, in the book of Nehemiah. This is a halfway point. What happens is the people are all eager to build, and Nehemiah comes, and he brings a lot of excitement. He says, we're going to rebuild this wall. We're going to get it done. And they get to the halfway point, and they're like, oh. And then all these threats start to come in. All this opposition starts to come in, and the people become discouraged and they become tired. And the enemy knows that any kind of halfway point with what God has called you to do is a time when he's going to be like, you know, you can't go any further. You might as well give up now. This is too, too hard. A lot of times he attacks us in our health. That's a really big way for the enemy to come at us and says, you know what, you're not healthy enough. You need to concentrate on your health. You need, you know, he wants us to focus on our physical being, which, listen, let's face it. When you're not healthy, you don't feel like doing anything for the Lord. You just want to get get healed. You want to get well. It's a real big way that the enemy tries to take down his people is to bring sickness on us. I think that one of the ways to, one of the ways to get through, especially discouragement, there's a time when we have to say the Lord has called me to this and I'm going to set my face like Flint and I'm going to persevere and I'm going to endure to the end. Because all of these attacks are really attacks that come against our um, emotions and come against, um, if we're, that bring us doubt and to bring us fear. And I believe that what the Lord is teaching us through opposition is to say, keep your mind focused on what I've called you to do, set your face right here, persevere through, and endure through. And that's a hard word to hear sometimes. Sometimes you just want to give up. Sometimes you need to take a nap. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're discouraged. Sometimes you just want to have a pity party. And I'm not saying you can't have those things, but in the end, we have to set our face and say, this is what the Lord has called me to do. Okay. Another tool of the enemy is negativity. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over Wherever you turn, they will attack us. The the uh, phrase ten times over is a euphemism in the Hebrew. It means over and over and over and over and over. Do you ever have you ever had people come to you and be, you you tell them something exciting that you want to do or feel like the Lord has called you to do and they're just negative and they're like, you know, you can't do that. You don't have enough money. Um, it's super dangerous to travel abroad. So I don't know why you think you could go do missions. You know, I mean, have you ever heard that before? Um, Or who do you think you are? You don't have the education to do that. You're too old. Again, the negativity bring you down. Sometimes the negativity comes from our own family, right? The ones that know us the most sometimes tend to be the most negative. I think negativity is a spirit that you can partner with or come out of partnership with. Do you think? Uh Uh-huh. And the enemy is always trying to get us to partner with what's going to keep us low. What did you tell me today, Bob? What was that thing you told me about C.S. Lewis? It Basically, uh, C.S. Lewis has uh, said every, every, inch. Every, inch of, every inch of ground you're on will either be claimed by God or by Satan. Every inch. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral ground. You're either with the, you, the, you, the, the Lord's either got that authority or the enemy is trying to take authority in that place in your life. And negativity is a really good place where sometimes people give up to the enemy, and they buy into negativity. They buy into, well, I can't do this. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. You know, people owe me. This goes back to mindset again. This goes back to perseverance and endurance. Sometimes the Lord is saying, I need you to set your face and endure and not allow the atmosphere around you to influence what I've called you to do. Number six. The enemy uses outright lies and deception. This is a hard one for a lot of us because it's hard to believe that people would outright lie to us. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors of the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Let's meet together. And this is what I like. This is my favorite. (laughs) Nehemiah goes, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. They are all trying to frighten us. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. I love that because here's the thing. You're going to have people that are going to lie to you, and they're going to, they're going to bring deception to you, and they're going to try to move you off of what you're supposed to be doing. They're actually going to lie about you and bring lies to you. In this situation, um, they were bringing this... <laughs> Letters saying, you know what, everyone says you're trying to make yourself a king. I don't know what you think you're doing, rebuilding the wall, but you know, everyone out there says you're you're trying to grab power for yourself. So you just need to stop what you're doing because you know you've got a bad reputation in the land. And what does Nehemiah says? You're making this up in your head. I refuse to listen to you. That I think is fantastic. I love that. Secondly. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, I'm just making this up, Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors it's because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalet had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Now, these were people, these were Jews. These were not outside people lying to him. These were inside people lying to him. These were his own people lying to him. And that's where this gets really hard. Sometimes the people closest to us fall into deception, they partner with the enemy. How, there's, no other, there's no easy way to, to say it, but sometimes people closest to us are out to get us. And that's real, real hard. And that's where we need to have, um, for both of these, especially for lies and deceptions, because what the enemy does is sometimes he'll take a lie and he'll twist, he'll take something in your life that's already, kind, that's already a wound, And then he'll take a lie and he'll twist it to fit that wound. Does that make sense? He'll take a lie and he'll say, how do I um, touch that wound such that they might believe this lie? And then sometimes we do. We're like, well, maybe that's true. Maybe people are thinking bad things about me. Maybe that really is happening. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Right? That's where we have to have godly Christian people in our lives who can look past our filters and say, no. Here's what's really going on. Because we all have broken filters, right? And the enemy knows our broken filters. And he says, how do I get right there? And and possibly get them to doubt themselves enough that they're not going to do what God's called them to do. And we have to have Christian people in our lives to tell us the truth about that kind of stuff. Because sometimes we can't see it. And then when we have close people become deceived and hurt us, we need godly Christian people to help us with that as well because they're so close to us, we can't believe that would really happen. And we're wounded, and the wounding and the pain of that takes us down from our assignment. And we need people to help us say, nope, stay the course, stay the course. That's why we need other Christian people in our lives, especially when we have assignment to complete. So, how do we respond to the enemy's opposition? Number one, we respond with prayer. The the other major theme in Nehemiah, besides opposition, is prayer. This man was a man who prayed all the time. The two major prayer themes are confession and direction. You see in um, Nehemiah 1 I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you, we have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you gave your servant moses lord let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man now this was when he was first heard about the jews and and didn't know what to do how do i find out what's going you know what the very first thing he did he confessed he confessed he confessed the sins of his people to the Lord before he even asked for direction. I think that's really significant that the very first prayer he prayed was a prayer of confession. How often do we pray prayers of confession before we ask the Lord for something? A lot of times when we, we go to the Lord with a petition or we say um, I need direction x y or z do we start with confession? Do we say Lord I've sinned against you? It's something to think about. That was the very first thing that Nehemiah did, and we see that Nehemiah is a praying man throughout this whole thing. The second um, theme is for major prayers is for courage and vindication. But here's what I like about this. (laughs) He prays for strength, which we should have prayed for, but he also prays some pretty heavy prayers against his enemies. Listen to this. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. The thing I like about that is that Nehemiah takes his spiritual warfare seriously. Like He's like, I need you to take these people down. I need you to do something about this for me. They're coming at us. They're messing us over. I need you to step in and stop this from happening. He takes his spiritual warfare seriously and we need to as well. The second way to combat opposition is put your heart into your assignment. Nehemiah 4, 6 says, the people had a heart to work. You know, I don't think generally that intellectual arguments change anybody's mind. I don't think that Um, abortion um, clinics where you go and, what is it, picket or whatever. I don't really think that changes anybody's mind. I don't think so. Um, I don't think having an argument with someone about politics changes anybody's mind, really. They're pretty much cemented. I think what changes people and where people really become motivated is when their heart is in it. And we see this um, with the the hurricanes and stuff like that. You see people that are working... 24, 48 hours in a row because they have a heart to serve the people they're serving. Like I said, the pictures where you see people driving to Texas with their boats (laughs) to go and save the people that are all flooded, that's because their heart is in it. Their heart is in it. If we're going to do what God has called us to do, it's because we believe in what God has called us to do. We, if we're going to be Christians that make a difference in this world, it's because our heart is engaged, not just our mind. It's not just a habit. We didn't just grow up that way. We're go- we have to believe that what we've been called to do and who we've been called to be makes a difference, matters, and will change the world. Like we've talked before, if you don't have a vision, you're not motivated to change. Not, it's pain or vision, Right? If we're going to be who God's called us to be, we've got to believe in our heart the assignment he's given us. That's what helps us to persevere through opposition, is our heart, what we own in our heart. The third thing is we have to keep our eyes on the enemy. We have to realize that we do have an enemy. Nehemiah says, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards took with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. So here's the deal. The scriptures have called us to be wise as serpent and gentle as doves. So we have to be wise when it comes to the enemy and gentle with all people. But we can never take our eyes off the enemy. We can never assume that we don't have an enemy. We can't walk around as if we're not being opposed. We can't be shocked when we're opposed over and over and over. Sorry. What a bummer. That's the way it is. We're going to be opposed more than regular people. Everybody's opposed in this world because Satan doesn't like anybody. <laughs> but he especially doesn't like Christians. And he especially doesn't like Christians who said, I've got a heart for the, what the Lord has called me to do. So we need to keep our eyes on the enemy and we need to be, have a posture of both attack and, and self-protection and self-defense. We don't put ourselves in positions where we're going to experience greater opposition. We protect ourselves. We don't open ourselves up to temptation. We do what, it, what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. Just like Nehemiah, they didn't even take their clothes off. They carried their weapons so much they did not even take their clothes off when they went to get water. Because it, so, it was so important that he remain girded up. The last thing is to stay focused on the Lord and the character of the Lord. Focused. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, wives, and your houses, Nehemiah 4.14. You know, this is where we remember who God is in our lives. We look back at the altar stones of our lives and we say, what has God done in the past for us and how will he continue to do it? Sometimes when I'm going through fear or anxiety or opposition, I forget that I've been here before. (laughs) I forget that I've been scared and anxious and afraid before. And I forget that the Lord has always been there for me, has always shown up, has always turned things around for my good every single time. So when I get scared and anxious, I say to myself, what did God do in the past for me? He will surely do it in the future. He will surely do it again. And I remember the altar stones of my life. I st- like David, I strengthen myself in the Lord and I set my face like flint and say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, um, I just want to wrap it up with this. You know, when the Israelites were in the, in the wilderness, Moses sent out 12 spies to the promised land. Ten came back with a negative report and two came back with a positive report. The two were Joshua and Caleb, and when it came time for the Israelites to go into the promised land, they crossed over the Jordan River, and they were led by Joshua because he came back. He was a man who saw what God saw. Joshua was a man who was not um, distracted by the negativity of the other spies. He believed in the Lord. He saw what the Lord had done before, and he went. And he led the people into the promised land. But here's the thing about your promised land, you guys. it was still inhabited by giants. It wasn't free and clear. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a promise from the Lord. He says, this is your land, now go take your land. So they didn't didn't get into the promised land and be like, oh, here we got it. The Lord's like, now go take that city, now go take that city, now go take that city, and I'll be with you. And that's the way it is with us. When we have an assignment, it's not going to be all rainbows and unicorns, (laughs) right? And the minute you give your life to the Lord, you've got the enemy trying to take authority in one hand, and you've got God on the other hand. It's always going to be that there's no neutral ground, just like Bob says. So we have to decide how we're going to face the opposition when it comes, how we're going to set our minds, how we're going to take captive our thoughts, how we're going to turn to the Lord and pray over and over and over, remembering what he's done in the past, remembering who he is, and remembering that he has a promised land for each and every one of us, but we have to go take and possess it and not be shocked when we have opposition. So I'm just going to encourage you guys, breathe through Nehemiah, see how he dealt with opposition, don't be shocked when you have it, and persevere to what God has for you. All right? Let us pray. Lord, I just thank you that you, um, you have given us Nehemiah as an example, that he was a great man of God, and he did remain focused on you, Lord. Let us remain focused on you, not surprised by the attacks that come our way, not surprised by the opposition, and we surely don't fall into the agenda of the enemy. We set our face, we're focused We pray, God, and we do what you've called us to do, Lord. Thank you that you invite us to partner with you every day to make a difference in this world, God, to be world changers. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this food, Lord. Let's have a great time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.